is the Photographer's Revolution Podcast, and I am your host, Dana Pugh. Kirstie Lamour. I said that right, I think. Um, and she's, I don't even, are you in, you're in India today. <laughs> I'm in India, yeah. And, and she's Kirstie Lamour from KirstieLamour.com. And uh, yeah, well, welcome, Kirstie. Hi. All the nice way to from India. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Are you in Goa? Do you live in Goa? We are, yes. I live in Goa in India. We moved here about a year ago. Um, and before that, I was in Abu Dhabi in right. the UAE for about 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a pretty unique story in that you, you kind of move around a lot. And um, so why don't, you, why don't you just tell us about your, how you got started in photography and sort of what your journey has looked like. Okay, so um, originally I was an environmental engineer and I was working in Hong Kong um, and I used to travel a lot for work and I got really, really into travel photography and I took loads of photos and had some published and blah, 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 blah. Um, Then I met my husband and we got married and we moved to China, which is where we had our first daughter. And of course, you know, that same old story. After the baby comes along, suddenly you have a a subject right there in front of you. So then I progressed from travel photography into, you know, people, families, and so on. Um, And I was freelance engineering at the time, so I had some time to sort of focus on uh, working. And so then I started my business when we were in China. That was in 2007. Um, And by the end of 2007, we moved to Abu Dhabi. And I was pregnant with my second daughter then, and I figured that was my chance. Like, it was now or never, give it a go. And if it didn't work out, I'd fall back on the engineering stuff. Um, And, you know, like, being pregnant, going to all the playgroups, meeting loads of people. Um, The only photographers in Abu Dhabi at the time were all studios. So I was doing something a bit different, and I would come to their homes, and there were all these new moms who loved the fact that they didn't have to get their baby out and dressed and into the crazy heat. So I was going to their homes to do it, and yeah, um, that's it. It took off, and I've not really looked back. I've been doing it for 12 years. I'm into my 12th year now, which is insane. Yes. I know we started in business at exactly the same time because I started in 2007 as well. That's when I yeah. started. And back then yeah. it was like so totally different because everybody was in white shirts and jeans in a studio. Oh my gosh. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. And so I if mean, you did something different, then yeah. people kind of did stop and look. Yeah. Uh, but they would still turn up and to the park or have you around to their house and dress in the white t-shirts and jeans. Yeah, you had to tell them, it's okay, no white shirts and jeans. Like, I always say, you're more interesting than white shirts and jeans. Although, now that I'm in a studio, I'm like, could you wear, like, neutrals? (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying that a lot, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm getting back. I'm going back to the white shirt and jeans. I'm, like, a little bit afraid, but... Yeah, I know. But back then there was like nobody taking photos at home because even when Jack was little, so this would have been 16 years ago, probably this year, um, my friend who's a photojournalist in Vancouver, she took photos of us uh, on the beach in Vancouver when Jack was like 
10 months old or something. And that was when I sort of went, wait a minute, I love these photos like so much more than any photo I've ever had done in a studio. Yeah. I could just, I could probably learn how to do this for myself, you know, and then slowly started to learn how to do it for myself. And then in 2007 offered, started offering it for other people. Yeah, and that was me. I was totally self-taught. You know, I took what I'd learned from doing travel photography and then suddenly was applying it to people, which (laughs) resulted in some funny angles and funny colours and stuff back in the day. But, you know, it was fine. It got me my start. So, um, yeah, Um, and and that was it. And then I did that for about 10 years in Abu Dhabi. But we take a lot of breaks and travel. So even though we were based from Abu Dhabi... Um, in 2014 to 2015, we spent a year on the road. Right. And then every year we spend at least three months traveling. Yes. Um, and, yeah, so it, it's given me a few different ways of doing my photography, and bringing in income and juggling different sort of things like clients in different countries and different revenue streams and stuff. So it's been a, an interesting progression. Yeah. I know. I always think it's funny because we, as you know, because we met once in Thailand. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> our family loves to travel too. My husband's work only really allows for like one month of time off uh, at a yeah. time. And so we usually, we typically take the month of August and travel. And uh, people are always like, how can you do that? I'm like, listen, I have my own business. I just don't work in the month of August you know, and it's not, I totally, I do work, <laughs> yes, but you know, when you have your own business, you never stop working. No, you never do, but it's about yeah. scheduling it in. And I'm, what I'm really interested to hear about from you is because I know you took that one whole year. Like, did you save for that year or what did you work at all during that year? What, how did you approach that year? Yeah, so with that year, we, we always said we were going to do it from when we had kids. Um, we said we'd take a year out to travel. Um, and so we did save up for it. But then as it turned out, the very first thing that we did in that year was we went to the States where I was presenting at ClickAway. Um, so that was the first thing that we did. And that kind of came at a really perfect time for me because it kind of raised my visibility. It was the first ClickAway um, it put my name out there a little bit more, got me a few more followers on Instagram and that kind of thing. Um, and so from there on, as we traveled, I met families who inquired with me and I did a whole load of photo shoots as we traveled. So after the States, we went to Mexico and Cuba and then we came back to Abu Dhabi. We picked up our car and we drove from Abu Dhabi to England. Um, which is an interesting route that takes you through countries like Iran. I didn't have yeah. any clients in Iran, but, you know, <laughs> um, but as we went across Europe, because being an expat, you have clients that move to different places. So I had one family who'd moved to um, Romania and another family who'd moved to Germany and another one who'd moved to um, Belgium and you know they were following me on Facebook and so on and they were like oh my gosh are you coming near me and of course you know you can detour it's fine we were driving our own car we had that flexibility so I caught up with old clients that I'd done shoots for in Abu Dhabi and then other people who just happened to live different places so I did a whole lot of that um I was also doing an awful lot of stock work during that year. 
um, and a little bit of teaching work. Right. So it turned out that even though we'd saved to do that year, I actually still earned enough in that year that it funded it. Right. Um, which meant that we still had that lump sum saved up, which is why we might go traveling again, because we've just kept saving that lump sum. So. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it worked out absolutely fabulously to me, for me. It was a lot of juggling to keep the different revenue streams. So, you know, when I wasn't seeing clients, I'd be uploading stock and um, or I'd be sort of pushing my mentoring services. And that's always a bit difficult to do when you're on the road because you don't always know where you're going to be. Um, but, yeah, like I managed to combine all of that. Um, and it set quite a good precedent. So whenever we do go traveling now, I kind of do the same thing. And I, I approach friends that are in the area and then I ask them to share with friends and so on. So I do quite a lot of photo shoots on the road. Yeah. Um, I continue to shoot the stock. I do a lot more mentoring and teaching now. Right. And then now that we've moved to India, I still see clients back in Abu Dhabi. Um, if I need to do a visa run, I go back to Abu Dhabi and I just like shoot morning, evening, morning, evening, morning, evening, clients back to back. Um, and they know that it's going to take them a month to get their images rather than my typical two weeks. Um, you know, so, but I, I now am in that fortunate position that when I go and do that, I only shoot pre-existing clients right. so they know what to expect from me I know what to expect from them I, I there's not the same groundwork that you do with brand new clients um they know exactly which products they want you don't need to talk them through everything um it's it's uh streamlined my process so much by saying okay you know because I'm in time limited periods because I'll go back for 12 days or a week or something um that yeah, if I just see pre-existing clients or clients, who are, are new people who have been referred by previous clients, it streamlines everything. And then that means that I can just go bang, 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 see the clients, they know what to expect, and then they still get the beautiful images that they've had before. Um, so, yeah, that's worked really well for me. And that's enabled me to be in the position that my husband is currently, like, the full-time stay-at-home dad, chef, supermarket boy you know all the rest of it. So, yeah we're really lucky with that yeah. um I think yeah. too like I I always tell people when they're moving when they move markets like they're always like how am I going to manage and I always suggest when you're moving markets make trips back and like batch shoot your past clients yeah. You know, and I yeah. think this is where like so many people don't understand what they don't understand about business is that like uh, photography business is kind of like a house. Like you need to build the first few years of your business is building that solid foundation of regular people who are going to use your services. And then, yeah. you know, you just eventually it gets to the point where you're just catering to them. And like, so, yeah. so when people are like, what do you do for marketing? I'm like, not much is the truth. I mean, I, I do some things now it's gotten as, as the industry's become more and more competitive because it's hyper competitive right now. I've had to do some marketing and get uh, sort of savvier that way. But <clears throat> honestly, I have so many past clients that like, if I moved away from my area, if I moved away from Calgary, I would just come back three times a year and probably shoot the exact same number of people that I would shoot, but yeah. just sort of all well, I mean jumped up into one chunk. 
Yeah, that's what, I, I'm in that really lucky position that, you know, like, uh, some of my clients have moved on and some of, you know, whatever, right. but, but I have that core group of clients. Um, and because I know what I charge and they know what I charge, it's, you know, we'll probably only stay in India for 18 months to two years, maximum two years. There was no point in me starting from the ground up here. And also the value of money is completely different. Right. What I would charge for my services here would be on a whole different level. So it's worth my while getting on that plane and going back and seeing people who already value what I do. Right. Um, you know, the market there has changed a lot as with everywhere there's more people with cameras there's more people that think they can do it it's an expat market so you know there's a lot of trailing spouses so people come for their husband's job which pays enough salary it pays school fees it pays airfares it pays all the medical expenses you know and there's a lot of um, people who are sitting around looking for a hobby to pick up and they get a camera and then they think oh I'll start doing a bit of photography so there has been that impact on the market there and that's always going to happen somewhere with an expat market I think that there'll be people that just take it up as a hobby and and do start at the bottom and and it can feel like they're undermining but if you're already established yeah. You know, you're probably not really going to be threatened by that because people come to you because they know you. They know what to expect. There's no surprises. You know, if they go to the photographer that's suddenly charging $300, well, they, they, they're going to be worried that they're not going to get the same quality that they've always come to rely on. So right. I don't know. I feel really, really lucky that I've, I've had that and I've had that consistent market. It has changed and... I do take on the jobs that I don't necessarily enjoy. You know, <laughs> what? I've been down. You, you're not on all, the just floor. shoot what you love. Just shoot what you love, and, and the clients will follow. Oh, It'll be fine. This is a great business plan. Just do what you love, and everything will fall into place. I promise you. It's like magic. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> no, I've got down on the floor shooting a woman vacuuming under a sofa oh my for gosh. a cleaning company. And you know what? The women that ran that cleaning company were such a good laugh. It was such a fun day of shooting. But yeah, those pictures are never going to make it to my website. Yeah, no. Know? Yeah, yeah, I know. I always say I the most boring photos, and I'm sure this fellow will listen to this podcast So because I love him. He's one of my favorite clients ever. But right. uh this surgeon asked me to take photos of them in their offices, like looking at x-rays, like, you know, boring stuff. But yeah. sometimes, especially in like the off season, it's like, this is the thing about a lot of places is the seasons really affect my, how, how much work I get, you know? And so yeah. in the winter getting a job like that, where I get to go for a day and shoot, you know, office pictures or headshots or, you know, I was telling you earlier, I do dance photos and things like that, that doing that sort of stuff has always, uh, allowed me to keep going in rough times. I mean, I can turn it down. I can take it, you know? So if I'm busy yeah. with other stuff, I don't have to say yes, but having the skills to be able to do it has really managed to keep me afloat because it's never like, and I think this is the problem with, uh, anything creative, any sort of creative job is it's never this like straight line. It's always no. this like roller coaster of it's all happening at once or now I have no work, you know? And so I'm always ex waiting for the down, the going down. Yeah. 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 And, 
you need, I mean, Abu Dhabi had the most crazy season. You could only shoot during the winter. And then in the summer, it's like 50 degrees. You cannot go outdoors. Yeah. But I tell you, by the end of that six months of going out every single weekend to the desert, oh my God, I love the desert. It's so stunningly beautiful. But I feel like it was my studio and I was just like, you know, yeah. moving the next family in. Onto the dunes, off you go, walk over the dunes. Now the sun's going to start coming down. Walk back towards me, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'd be like, okay, it's time to do just something else that rests, rests me from doing this weekend in, weekend out, you know? Yeah. So I didn't actually mind doing the, the crazy cleaning company jobs. And, and I do dance school photos as well. And you know yeah. what dance moms are like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Loads of lovely ones, but there's plenty of crazy ones. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> but yes, yes. It might not be what you love doing, but it it puts you in front of a lot of people as well. Yes, you know? yes, yeah. It's an excellent marketing tool for other things as well. Like in every time I I um, do a preschool shoot or whatever, I always put in information about my family sessions, and I get I do book stuff from it. Like I think what happens though is a lot of people go, "Oh, I didn't book anything from that one school that I did, so it was not good." But sometimes it takes a couple years, and then people are like, "Oh, two years ago, you photographed our kids' preschool," you know? Yeah. Like, oh, you know what? Like, even if it leads to no one, if you've charged appropriately for what you're actually doing. Well, you've still made money from it. It might have been like incredibly boring, repetitive work, but if you've made money and you've been compensated for the time that you were sitting there, you know, shuffling the kids in and out, well, fine, that's a win, right? Yeah. Because, you know, you can pay for your kids' dance classes for the next year or whatever, so. Yeah, I know. I think sometimes you just have to pay bills and you have to have the skill set to be able to do that. Like it's either, and I said to Bob at one point, I was like, it's either I start learning how to do all the things and become a real working photographer, or I go back to school and learn how to do something else. Or I get another job of some sort, you know, because I, I need a more steady income. Like for people who's, who don't need a steady income, who are kind of doing it as a side hustle, you know, it's yeah. not as important, but I, I need the income. So for me, it was always yeah. a matter of like f- just figuring it out. So can you tell me, can, can we talk a little bit about stock? I do have a stock account. I'm miserable at adding, I think I have 30 or 40 images in there. I, every time I get an email from them, I'm like, oh, they're, they're emailing to tell me that they're shutting my account, <laughs> but they haven't. <laughs> I keep meaning to do it, and one day I will. <laughs> so can yeah. you tell me, tell I mean, like, who do you sell with? Do you sell with Offset? Do you sell with Stocksy? I'm with Offset and with Stocksy. Yeah. And, if, you know, back in the day, it was actually quite a nice little earner. Yeah. But I think there's so many agencies out there these days that it's not. I mean, it's now now it's pocket money that comes in. You right. know, it. it it's a little bit that's extra and helpful, but it's not the same good earner that it was maybe four or five years ago, yeah. which is a bit of a shame because, you know, um, it's, yeah, it's re- it was really nice for me when I was traveling that, like, just upload them all, there we go, loads of pictures, um, and then, you know, the, the money just came in, but it's not quite like that anymore. Um, but it's still, yeah, it still brings some in. Yeah. I think you just have to get a little bit savvier about it. You've got to be fairly hot on your keywording and things like that um, so that you can sell. You've got to have quite a diverse portfolio as well. But then, right. 
Yeah. I and don't know. And lots of images. It's kind of a numbers yeah. game. Like, if you want to make any money, you have to have thousands of images. Yeah. 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 Like, that's the yeah. deal. And even, um, you know, stock used to be, I, I remember when I first started, and I can't remember his last name. Somebody will probably email me after this podcast. But um, a long time ago, when I was first starting, one of my favorite photographers was a stock photographer, and he did travel work and surfing work. And his name was Jay. That's all I can remember, his first name. Okay. I think he's from <laughs> California. And uh, his work was really, really incredible. So I was always sort of watching... Um, the stock industry, even though I, at that point, didn't participate in it. But it really, really quickly went from, like, people who were making six-figure incomes to people who yeah. couldn't eat. And it happened, like, almost overnight. It was the, one of the turning points in the whole photographic industry, I think, when I sort of went, oh, my gosh, like, this is the change. Like, here we go. Yeah. The industry is changing. If you don't think digital is changing the industry, you're yeah. wrong. And, yeah. uh, because a lot of people, even then, like when we, and I know you probably remember this too. I, I faced a lot of flack from like older photographers when I started because I didn't, because I was selling the digital files and they really, they came from a film background where you like, don't ever let go of your negatives. Your negatives are how you make yeah, money, and you know, you know and all that. And so thing. it was like, it's, we've all got to change and you know, go with the flow. And, it, and because of that, it's been so interesting because recently, like a lot of the friends who started with me, when I talk with them, they're like, I sort of realized I was becoming one of those dinosaurs. And it's like, uh, okay, I, I'm going to have to change the way I do things. You know, like yeah. I'm going to have to become flexible the way I was sort of demanding it of the older photographer when I started. And, uh, you know, and I always say this, this too, like we're creatives. If you can take the creative aspect and, and take it into your business and start to brainstorm and come up with interesting ways to earn an income, you'll always be able to manage. It is literally an ever changing game where you have to, yeah, and it, yeah. you have to wear so many hats in this yeah. job. And I often think that I'm kind of lucky that I had that, that engineering background where I'd done project management and budgeting and so on because I brought all of those skills from my previous career. And I think without that, you know, I'd been doing that for 10 years. So without that, I don't think that I would have had that knowledge to build myself a profitable business, you know, because I wouldn't have known kind of like what my hourly charge rate should be. I mean, that was how I paced it. And people probably think that sounds so arrogant, but, you know, yeah. I was like doing consulting for the World Bank and stuff. So I just took what my hourly charge rate was for that right. and went, well, you know, if I'm going to be away from my kids... Even, you know, it's not on a daily basis. It's not on a weekly basis like I was doing before. But if I break it down and I'm going to be away for two hours, I want to get paid the same amount per hour, Yeah. you know? Yeah. And that was, that was like my whole basis of building my photography business. This is what I deserve to be paid per hour. And then I figured in all my products. Um, and, yeah, and I was that person. I always have been that person, because, especially because we were expats. I've always sold digital files because, you know, like I might move or the families might move. Everyone just wants the digital files. But I sold them for a premium because yes. I was like, you know what? Like you can print this out. You can email it. You've got it forever, you know. So um, 
And and now to this day, I I can't even remember the last time that a client didn't buy the digital files. But I do sell them with like a box and a copy of all the pictures. Right. So they still have a beautiful keepsake for their coffee table. Um, but it just makes sense to do that. But you've got to be pricing appropriately. I mean, yeah, like. I mean, all of my products were quite expensive because I was shipping everything in right. from the state. Right. Because nothing was being produced where I was. So I had to charge a premium for that stuff. But, yeah, like I wanted people to have something, but I I sold people on the value of having those digital files. Apart from anything else, the digital files streamlined my whole process. Yes. Like if I sold those digital files, it would, it would take hours out of what I was doing for the same amount of money you know it it would knock off two to three hours because I wouldn't be resizing things for three five by sevens and resizing something else for canvas and then having to make sure that it wraps around the edge of the canvas just right and then you know the album spreads and and designing little things for keychains or whatever none of that it it totally streamlined it for me so what I was making it just made sense to sell the digital files as well. And I also, I um, give a discount if clients pay up front or on the day of the shoot for their digital files because it cuts out to and froing in communication. So that saves you time. Right. It just makes sense. So even people who are new clients, they'll often be like, can we wait till the day and see how we feel? And then I would say... 95% of the time, those people, they go home from their shoot and I get a text going, can we send you the money through for the digital files? We loved our session. Yeah. You know, it's a tea, because they want to get the discount. And yeah. that's awesome. And then the ones that don't want the discount, well, they I have the toing and froing with them because I don't set their albums up so that they can download them as soon as they get them. And so they pay the extra, but they still always go for the digital files because the way I shoot is that, you want them all. It's I don't shoot necessarily for the one big canvas or something, you know, right, because right. I want them to have them all because that's how I make my money. Yeah. You know, I, I talk people into selling and I don't think I'm a very good salesperson, but I talk them into, but this is really what you want. Yeah. You know, I know you don't, you haven't seen anything, but you don't know what you want, but I really know what you want because, because yeah. that's what works for me. And they get everything because honestly, what's the point in me shooting a hundred images at a session and then they only get 20 of them? Yes. Like, I, I just want them to have them all. I really do. So I, I, I everything know. is priced and geared towards streamlining my time and maximizing my money on doing that. So, yeah. I, th- I think you're super lucky because, A, you had this understanding of your own self-worth, which I feel like through my mentoring, I've learned that a lot of women, and I mostly mentor women, so I'm sure the same holds true for men, but I, but my experience has mostly been with women, that a lot of women don't see their own self-worth. And, and they sort of see themselves primarily as homo, uh, homemakers, that they're raising their kids and that's the plan, and that any money that comes in on the side is just bonus. And they don't understand... A, the amount of time it's going to take to get clients, the amount of effort and work it takes to actually get clients is so much. There's so much time involved. They don't understand that. They just sort of think people are going to come to them. And they don't understand that any time that they're away from their kids or their husband is super valuable 
because you are supposed to, like the plan was you were just going to be a home, not just, you were going to be a homemaker. Now this job uh, as a photographer, whatever job you do is taking you away from that, the ability to do that and the ability to do that well, even if you're doing it with your kids in your home, you know, like we've all been there. I'm working on the computer and the kids are like tugging at my (laughs) sleeve, like, come on, no, stop working, stop working, you know? And, uh, I, so I think you were really lucky that you had that innate sense of self-worth. I did too. And I think partially because I was raised in an upper middle-class family and I went to university and all that sort of stuff. So then you start, all my friends were as well. So I start to see that all the women around me are valuable and they're all doing good, you know, making good money. And I'm doing a very valuable service. I need to be making good money too. Like right away, I was like, there's no point in doing this if I'm not going to make almost as much as my husband. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm well, worth yeah. at least as much as him, I mean, you know? I, w- I was mentoring someone the other day and she was talking me through what she was going to charge for a job. And I was like, you know, if you do that, you're not going to pay yourself any more than you pay your babysitter, yeah. you know? Like, is, like, so there's no point in you being away from your kids. No. That is absolutely pointless. So I said, like, let's look at, if you consider yourself self-taught and that you don't, she was saying, but I don't have a professional background in this, blah, blah, blah. I said, let's look at some other people who, you know, maybe oh, yes. do similar things. Like, 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 you know, we ended up having a mutual friend who was a personal trainer. You know, which was a job that she learned after she had kids and she could fit it in around the school run. I said, so how much does she charge per hour? And she told me, and I said, so there you go. Why are you worth less than her? You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, you're charging an eighth of what she's charging. Yeah. Yeah. And okay, she has overheads too, and they are fitted into her rate. And you've got to remember, you've got overheads too. But that's why you've got to charge this amount. Because don't forget that just because you've got a camera doesn't mean that you don't need to pay for it. It's a business expense. So are the new cards. So is your laptop. Yes, you would probably have a laptop anyway, but you're using it for your business. And like, you've got to count these things in when you're coming up with your rate. And don't let anyone else talk you out of it because that's where it all comes from, you know? Yeah, I know. And I I find, yeah, I find uh, it interesting that people are like, oh, this is how, spend all this pretty money on your pretty packaging and, and, you know, get all these subscriptions to all these fancy things and take these classes and everything. And they're like, I'd do this anyways. And I'm like, no, you wouldn't. You really wouldn't. Like, at some point, your yeah. husband would be like, no, you're not spending any more money on this hobby, you know. And, yeah, yeah I just, and it's, and here's the thing. Like, yes, I have a laptop. Yes, I would have had a laptop anyways. But my laptop gets used far more than it would have been used because yeah, I have a business, so it's going to I'm going to have to replace that laptop a lot quicker. Same with my gear. Yeah, totally. And yeah. like what I do with all the travel and everything, it's yeah. brutal on my yes. equipment. And taking it out into the desert, yeah. oh my god, it's insane. And then you have to factor in for, you know, for what I do, if I'm traveling and shooting clients, I need extra equipment because I can't leave my stuff in to be serviced somewhere because I live in a random part of India. There is no Nikon service center around here. <laughs> you know? Like, I would I would have to travel halfway across the country to get to Mumbai or Delhi to do that. That's not going to happen. Right. I can't leave it in Abu Dhabi because I'm backwards and forwards. I need extra gear. So, 
you've got to weigh all of that up, you know, yeah. and you can't, you can't go into the desert and shoot with only one camera because the sand blows at you. And I've had my shutter get stuck. I needed a backup. You, you know, like, you've got to factor all of that stuff in. It's, it's insane. And, you know, having moved here and my income is not the same here in India, even though I go backwards and forwards, but I'm not taking the volume of clients. Right. So... Um, I needed a new camera, so I was looking at upgrading, and I had to weigh up, like, well, if I upgrade to the next Nikon up from what I've got, then I'm going to need new batteries. I'm also going to need new memory cards because it takes different ones. It's not compatible with my previous cameras. Also, the file sizes are so huge, I'm probably going to have to upgrade my laptop, yeah. you know. I was like, to get that new camera, I would have to spend $10,000, right? So that's crazy. Whereas for six, seven, eight hundred dollars I just bought a new refurbished camera that's exactly the same as the one I had. So that minimizes the amount of time that I'm spending on stuff because there's no new learning curve. I know exactly what I'm doing. I can pick it up and walk straight into a shoot. You know, there's no faffing around and stressing that what does this button do or anything. So I ended up, I think, with the shipping, it was like $900. So I would have had $10,000, an extra $9,000 worth of business expenses that I would have to cover somehow by doing that. So you look at all of your purchases and how that factors into your business plan and what your revenue is. And, you know, if I was still in Abu Dhabi where I, was, I could see two, three clients a week, and yes, I might have upgraded, but at this point, where I'm in a different situation in life, that wasn't going to be financially viable because my wages at the moment go on paying for us to live here, our everyday expenses, paying for my kids to go to school and dancing class, and and hopefully some future travels as well. So right, you know, right. and I think what, that stuff up. I, yeah. And you know, I think what people forget too is that your clients, no matter how much they are paying you, whether it's two hundred dollars or two thousand dollars or $10,000, no matter how much they're paying you, they all assume that you're a professional because you're accepting money. So, so like, I feel like a lot of women are like, man, you know, I'm doing this on the side. It's no big deal Uh, until something major happens. And then you have to deal with a client who's angry at you. Like say your shutter dies on a session that has literally happened to me, right? Are you prepared as a As a professional photographer who's accepting money from somebody, are you prepared? Do you have a backup camera? Like, are you ready to shoot if something catastrophic happens? And I think a lot of people, they think, well, they know I'm not really a professional because they're only paying $350 or whatever it is. And that's just not the case. Because no, it's absolutely not. People think it's astronomically expensive, no matter what you're charging. If you're charging three hundred dollars or three thousand dollars, everybody that you will always have people who think a it's good value or b it's astronomically expensive. <laughs> like no yeah. matter what, even I just I just did pre, a preschool recently and I upped my preschool rate just slightly, and uh, it's forty five. The base package is forty five, but it goes up to like a hundred dollars. And I, yeah. and for the first time in preschool photos, I've had two people say, this is kind of expensive. And I'm like, these well, photos are really good. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. I just want to say, yeah. you know, I had, I had multiple parents email me telling me that they cried that, you know, these, they can't believe this is like a school portrait. And I'm like, these photos are good. You pay for what you yeah. want. If you don't want it, don't you buy it. You totally know? do. 
you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's like people, people, yeah, people don't know the background of what goes into a business. Nobody knows. And yeah. I think what happens is we, we, we devalue ourselves. So we devalue what we do and we say, oh, one day maybe I'll charge more, I'll charge more. You know, I'll just slowly raise my rates. But then what, like you're the perfect example of this. If you had taken that approach, you wouldn't have been able to move around as much as you did. Like if you went from like 500, the people who were used to paying you 500 aren't going to go to, to yeah. your current rates. They're not because you've taught people that that is the market rate. Yeah, yeah. You know? And then people have got that locked into their brain that that's what it is. And I still have people who say to me, but Kirsty, you're the most expensive photographer in Abu Dhabi. And I'm like, yeah, I am. And I still am. And I kind of can't believe that no one's gone higher than me because there's some really good photographers out there. Yeah. But... I don't know, you know. Yeah. Um, it's kind of crazy to me that, that that people just don't value their own worth in that way. Yeah. And and I, I I'm really glad that I did have some kind of business background that meant that that I did. Yeah. Um, and that and that I was in a position to do that and to say, right, well, if you want me to come and do this work, then this is what I'm going to charge. And the same with them. Um, commercial work you know people right. often think commercial work you should be charging less for because they're not no. getting products no i'm like no but they're using work. those pictures to make money if yes. your pictures are shitty they can't make money so your pictures have to be really damn good right yeah yeah so they need to pay you enough for you to be doing a really good job and yeah. so yeah you know commercial work should be significantly more expensive than a family who's just going to sit and love on those pictures and be like oh, you know crying and which is what we all want but yeah these people for commercial jobs they're making money off your pictures so and oftentimes for years for you years know? you know like people if you've ever done a commercial job for a major brand they'll be like oh hey we need it for two years or or can you tell us for five years or can we buy it indefinitely so that you can never show it anywhere that happens yeah. too and you know they pay you tens of thousands of dollars for that and the reason why is because they are literally making millions of dollars off of your images and you yeah. have to like wrap your head around that it's even like this whole branding movement has really kind of upset me because small businesses and i realize that small businesses now need photographs more than they've ever needed them before but this idea that we're just giving small businesses all sorts of photographs for $500 for them to yeah. use in their, which is the going rate in Calgary is probably $500. Like you have to do 200 sessions in order to bring in, to, in order for your revenue to be $100,000. At 200 sessions, you're going to run through your gear at a massive yeah. pace. You're like yeah. the income that you're actually able to pay yourself with a revenue of 100,000 going at that pace. And then who's doing your editing? Like are you hiring out your editing because if you're if you're shooting 5 sessions a week, yeah. <laughs> like how, who's doing your editing? Like when is that happening? Like just watching the whole thing, I'm like this is the quick road to burnout. Like we're in so much trouble yeah. as an industry because we I mean and, and that's another thing that's really fundamentally important. You can't let yourself burn out because it's the kind of career that emotionally takes a toll on you because you're investing yourself into what you do and how you connect with your clients. And so you can get to that burnout stage as well. So you've got to actually be taking care of yourself. And one of the ways of doing that is having enough money 
to be able to sustain your business, you know, so that you can have those little treats or like, you know, my cleaner was always a business expense. She kept me sane that way. The fact that she came around twice a week and my house was tidy and my kids' school uniforms were ironed and stuff, that kept me sane. And so making enough money to be able to have that and to be able to, you know, stop off for coffee and... And to be able to take a morning off a month to meet my local photographer friends so that I'd got that crowd around me and we all supported each other, that's the stuff that stops you from going into burnout. But you only have the time and the money for that stuff if you're charging appropriately. Now, otherwise, you're like, I can't take a morning off. I've got to work, work, work. I've got all this editing to do. I can't go and see people. But then... How do you refresh your batteries? You know, you yeah. you have to. And if you're only shooting clients, when do you have time for right. personal projects? So how do you keep growing as a photographer? You've got to be able to carve out time for yourself as well, yeah. you know, just to keep yourself from going completely insane. That's one of the reasons why I kind of always work to travel because oh, yeah. um, the travel keeps me sane. Yeah, the I travel always keeps know me I've sane got some too. kind of travels coming up. Yeah. I know. For me, too, yeah. it's like, especially as my kids got older, the only time they really let me shoot them is when we're traveling. And so it's like, I take yeah. 10,000 photographs in the month of August, you know, of just my kids or whatever. And uh, that sort of refreshes me and keeps me going. But I think... Yeah. I, and it's funny because I think that no matter what job you do, there's got to be room for further education and now having been here for 12 years like shooting professionally for 12 years um i am currently trying to further my own education and like for the last couple years i was so busy there was no space for it i did i took signed up for one class a filmmaking class and i literally watched the first video and that's it because i didn't have time for it because i was so busy And so what I realized is I actually have to like say no to things and schedule time in to be able to take classes. But here's the thing. My husband's an engineer. Every year he has to do further education. He has every year he has to do women's or whatever work. And what do they call that work and workplace? I don't know. Safety. It's like some sort of safety (laughs) thing. So every year he has to take the women's class and he also has to like, do some sort of class to further his education for yeah. his certification. In, so in he any like, professional in any career, prof- yeah, you have to. And his and company this, pays for the the course. They pay for his time to do that. He can take days yeah. off to go do that. You know, it's the same. He also has to give back. So he has to, in order to maintain his engineering certificate or whatever they call it, status whatever certification um he has to he used to do high school science fairs you know because there had to be some sort of like community service piece and again his company gives him space to be able to do that so your business if you're the owner should also give you space to be able to do what you need to do to keep the business running and you just and you need to do it i mean like like i said connecting for coffee with other local photographers that was another of my things that kept me sane in fact some of my absolute best friends are other photographers in Abu Dhabi and I still meet up with them every time when I go back and they do you know one of them does real posed newborn babies and I've assisted her she's amazing at it but I could never ever do that you know but like we would sit around and we would bounce ideas and there was no competition because 
we were all doing our own things and we were quite focused. And that was an incredible thing for like our little community to be able to have that and have those discussions. And it was so good for me to know that we'd always got that scheduled in every month because it was important, you yeah. know? So, yeah, um, I miss those girls. They were really, yeah. like, like, yeah, such an awesome set of ladies that we used to get together. But, you know, I'm kind of lucky because I've met a few other ones uh, through mentoring and, and stuff. So it's all good. It's all good. Are I think there, you need to have like-minded people around you. Yeah. Are, are there many photographers in India? No, I haven't met any. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's no. funny. I know I went to India years ago and took a photography workshop while I was there. I did the Momento workshop. And they pair you with like nonprofits and you, you know, you do all the, yeah. you, you do very documentary work at like 530 in the morning and it's so much fun. Um, <laughs> I'm not a morning person, <laughs> but uh, it was actually so much fun and I learned so much, but um, yeah, I didn't meet any like local photographers. No, I mean, a lot of Indian people are very into photography and when I've been teaching in the UAE, a lot of the people that come to my classes are Indian. So they're always amazing to talk to because they're always like, wow, you live in India? And, you know, yeah. uh, they, they, they all want to talk about India. It's like, it's such a fabulous country. Um, but I haven't met any here. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they're around. Maybe it's because I haven't really tried to establish my business here. Right. That I haven't come across people. And, I, you know... In Goa, there's a whole string of massive resorts. and Weddings. So there must be wedding photographers yeah. around. I'm um, wondering... I would love to shoot an Indian wedding, oh, but God. we'll see. Yeah, you know? wouldn't that be awesome? Um, I don't really do weddings, so I don't know if my chances of that are not very high. But, you know, uh, but yeah, I haven't met any. Um, although, you know, there's a lot of Indian people in the UAE, and, and our last workshop that we ran in, in Goa... Um, a couple of Indian ladies came. So that was really nice because they could, you know, I was like the person on the ground, but they could actually explain an awful lot more about like Indian traditions and so on than, than I could. Right. So, yeah, it was a nice kind of little cross-cultural thing. So, yeah. Oh, I was curious. I, I was wondering if maybe the, uh, in India, in the industry, it's more male-dominated than female. I think it very, very much is, yeah. yes, from what I know. It must be hard um, to be a an Indian female photographer. Yeah, I'm going to have to do some some background research now and see who I can connect with. Yeah, I would love so to one see. Of, one of my best friends who in the UAE, she's Mexican, and she lived in India for a couple of years. So, But she met a lot of, of guys. She went out and photographed all these festivals and stuff like that, and she met a lot of male photographers, she told me, when she was here as well. Yeah. Whereas because I've still been working and I've got younger kids, I, I haven't been out and doing that kind of stuff here as much. But I want to. I just yeah. need to schedule in a bit more India travels for myself so that I can get out and photograph a bit more of what's going on out there. And, and yeah. And maybe yeah. that will add to my stock portfolio and, you know, start building all of that up again. So, yeah. India um, is like, it is true. India is so amazing. And then as a very white person from Canada, whenever I meet somebody from India, I'm like, oh, I've been there. And they just like yeah. lose their mind. They're like, you've been to India? And they just want to know exactly where you've been and what you liked. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're and very you know, proud. If you, 
if you if you've been to the part that people are from and you're like, oh my gosh, the food from there, they love it. It's like it's so amazing. Yeah. You know, anytime I meet someone from Tamil Nadu, I'm like, oh my gosh, they have the best doses there. Yeah. Uh, which is absolutely true in my opinion. Yeah. So it's an amazing place to live. I'd keep living here for a really long time. Yeah. But I think I was always destined to moved to India at some point in my life because my mom was born here. So I just grew up with stories about India. So it's yeah. it's a magical place. I like I and you're right, the food everywhere you go. Yeah. Like I the meals, even just like yeah. Even just lunch, you know, I don't know. In the hotel, even the meals in the hotel, everything was always so amazing. You're like, oh wow, this is what is this? I don't know what I'm eating. This is so great. <laughs> We need to take more food photos and just like put them in my Instagram stories and stuff just to get people salivating. Yeah, I was oh always God, the delicious food. You know? I, in the markets there, like at night when you're walking around the markets, and we did that in in Thailand. We look, we went to some night markets with yeah. you in Chiang Mai. Remember in, we went and we had juices or something in the market. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we might. I wonder if we had yet had. No, we hadn't. It wasn't with you, but uh, yeah, no. In Chiang Mai to the. Uh, that's in Thailand for people who don't know the Chiang Mai markets. I'm always like, uh, at night, the like light from the, the fires or whatever, the grills, yeah. whatever they've got going and like what's happening that it, I love shooting night markets and the food that's oh happening. Oh my gosh. And in and India, it was food like, food is like the best food as well. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. 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 I know. It's all really cool. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for chatting with us. Do you want to, do you have any, um, any workshops that you teach or anything you want to promote? I'd love to hear what's, what, what's going on with you as far as workshops and teaching um, goes. Well, so besides doing like the little bits of mentoring, most of which I do online, um, uh, and I tend to attract um, other photographers who want to travel with their families because, you know, they're like, Kirstie's been there, done that. Um, she's probably got some tips to share. So it tends to be a lot of people like that or people who are, newly setting up a business or experts um so i do i do quite a bit of that um i had a breakout that i wrote for clicking mums which got retired recently but i still sell it myself so that's all good yeah um and i'm i taught a workshop in india last year um which was so super cool and one of those things that you know it's like a real passion project yeah um you just totally are teaching from your heart so i we did that last year and i'm running another one in march so that's gonna be fun yeah just before true. all the crazy weather um yeah um and other than that um oh yeah so i was gonna say uh, do you remember the whole nikon scandal thing yes Yes, I was teaching at a photography conference and I like literally just went up to the Nippon desk and said, um, yeah, can I talk to whoever like deals with your representation because I don't think you've got a very diverse lineup and they just turned to me and went, we know you, you're Kirsty, aren't you? And I was like, ah, yeah, I guess I shot myself in the foot there. <laughs> um, and the guy went, yeah, we hear that you don't think we've got enough women in our lineup. Come and present for us. So it was a real, like, put your money where your mouth is, Kirsty thing. Yeah. Um, and that's been awesome because I've presented for them several times across the Middle East now, which has been fabulous. Um, and, and they pay me, so that's yeah. cool. Um, 
you know, and I've, I've been able to test cameras for them and stuff. So, yeah, like, um, I'm not always very good at speaking up for myself, but right. with that, it was kind of okay because I was speaking up for, like, a whole side of our industry and going, hey, you. And I figured I had nothing to lose. Um that I probably wasn't actually even going to get to speak to the right person. And, yeah, it was just kind of amazing that, that the guy turned around and went, yeah, I schedule training. We want you to come and talk for us. So, nice. so that was another really cool thing that, that it's happened. What it, that's um, the lesson in just speaking up sometimes. I think men are better at that. And so often, that is a big part of why they – present more and why they have more representation is not because there's more of them, but because they're yeah. better at sort of asking for it. And we're not as women in general, uh, women yeah. have a difficult time actually asking for it. And it's, it is one of those things where watching what happened with Nikon and then, um, watching the big camera. So can both Canon and Nikon having sort of issues around, uh, diversity in their representation and then watching Sony come out and like take advantage of it. And, and, you know, I yeah. think Sony like Bravo to Sony for starting this, the Sony alpha program. And really they're super smart because from a business standpoint, please, the majority of people buying gear are women. They just are. Yeah. There are way yeah. more female photographers than there are male photographers because the family industry and the wedding industry is heavily populated with them. And uh, th those are the two largest industries. And if the camera makers yeah. could just understand, you know, like Sony, Sony was smart because now I see women dumping their Canon, dumping their Nikon and going to Sony because Sony Absolutely. showed us that yeah. they, that they support women. And I would really like to see Canon and, well, Canon's been pretty good and, you know, Nikon is, they're changing slowly, but I feel like Canon Canada just, they support mostly landscape photographers, you know, and it's like, wow, is that who you and think? I, I think there is still that thing that, that, see, that doing what we do, photographing kids, we're seen as the momtographers. Right. And it's not seen as a credible type of photography yeah. and that's insane because raising children and capturing them like is some of the most important stuff we do with our lives as females you know it's important for males too but to discredit females because that's what we're doing yeah. you know and in fact I, I applied to speak at um, another conference and and I said you know like blah 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 like capturing emotional photography with kids blah 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 put my proposal in and the guy emailed me back and he said but how's that going to empower women and I said well I've looked at your lineup and you've got 35 speakers of which only four are females just putting one more female in your lineup that appeals to one of the biggest markets that are actually buying cameras right now yeah surely that is gonna and and he turned my proposal down this guy yeah. And I'm like, oh my oh, no. gosh, it's such a Oh my gosh, particularly male conference runners, they think that men are the ones who are creating. I've had men tell me that if, you know, if people wanted to learn from women photographers, there would be more female photographer speakers. And I'm like, no, it's not true. I barely look at male photography. I'm not yeah. interested in it 
for the most no. part, the I do obviously follow some men. Um, yeah. I, there are there is work that I really really love, but most of my favorite photographers are females, and th- you rarely see them being given the opportunity to speak, particularly yeah. at, on on a large platform. And part of the problem is, I think they think we don't make any money because, and what we do is invaluable because we don't value it. So if we because start to value it, doing it for a whole day. Yeah. No, like when I was in India, for example, uh, I was the only female student and it was all males, which was awesome for me because I got my own room without having to pay double, uh, (laughs) without having to pay extra. So that was awesome for me. But I remember at the time, like I said, oh, I make six figures as a photographer. And they're like, as a family photographer. And I was like, yes. And they were yeah. completely stunned. Like all the men were like, how is that possible? And I'm like, because people it. pay for it. People will pay. Yeah. And because I'm a smart businesswoman and a killer photographer, like, can we not just be okay with that? You know, that a woman oh could gosh. do this. And I, it's, it's interesting to me to watch men be so shocked that there are successful female family photographers. And it's like, I don't know. So the men who are running the conferences are really missing out by not asking female family photographers yeah. to speak because there are literally tens of thousands of us. So like, I, I know. Yeah. Yeah. And I was saying to this guy, you know, like it empowers women. Most women want to buy a camera, know how to make it work and then go and shoot what's in front of them, which is their kids. Yes. Yeah. You don't want to come and learn. Like, if you've just bought a new camera, you don't want to come and learn from a Magnum photographer or someone who's shot in Syria or, you know. Like, for me, at this stage of my career, I love listening to them. That was fascinating for me. But if I just bought a new camera, I would want to go and listen to another mom who I've seen her work and she takes great pictures of her kid. She's, She's passionate about it. She's been doing it for a number of years. That's who I want to go and learn from. Yeah. I was like, you're missing a massive audience here. And he turned my proposal down. Yeah. And I was just like, Phew. No, I'm not, I, I'm not surprised at all. The reason I still went to the conference was because Nikon still wanted me to present on their stand about uh, photographing your own kids. Because, yeah. you know, I'd had that conversation with them and they were starting to see the value in it. So little steps, little steps. Little steps. You know. But it's the same. But, I used to go to WPPI every year. Like I went for five years running and then I was like, literally there is nothing here that appeal that a appeals to me that B is relevant to my business. There's like so little here for me that I did not see the value in going. And now it's hard for me. Even I look, I didn't even look this year. I have zero idea who the, who the lineup is, but every year I've looked, I'm like, there's like one speaker so like i'm gonna pay for a flight pay for a hotel it you know every time i went it cost me roughly two thousand dollars you know am i going to go spend two thousand dollars to go to wppi to hear a bunch of wedding photographers speak about weddings like yeah i I, i'm like no one time i saw lexia frank speak on birth it was unbelievable it was like one of the best presentations i think wppi ever had and i'm like why don't we have more of this you know at wppi it's because they discount what we bring to the industry it's true absolutely and it's insane it is insane at the end of the day this conference went went out with 35 speakers of which four were women yeah and i was 
appalled. appalled. It, you know, it's appalling. You just, how can you ever, ever think that that's okay and that's representative of the people that want to learn photography? Yeah. But there we go. You yeah. know, yeah. when you say, how does it empower women? You're like you're you're missing a whole point of of how you you just don't actually get how much women love their kids and yeah. think they're the cutest thing ever. You know, even if that's like your marketing, like your kids are so cute. Come and learn how to take better pictures. You're totally missing. So I'm guessing this guy wasn't a parent himself. Otherwise, he the penny might have dropped. But I still don't know because it's, yeah. it was insane to me anyway. Well, like, no, yeah. I think I think the thing that they're also missing is like. Most of the photographers I know, whether they're men or women, are work-at-home parents. A lot of them are juggling yeah. having children. A lot of them are juggling their personal work, being their families, and their whatever their professional work is, whether they're a commercial photographer, editorial photographer, wedding photographer, portrait photographer. They, they're juggling yeah. all of this. And there's a lot that women can bring to the table on a, on like a life balance panel or a working-from-home panel or... Um, how to structure your business so that you have freedom to be able to manage your life. Like there's a lot that I think women could bring that like at least as equal as men, (laughs) at least. Yeah, because we're like the master multitaskers and jugglers, you know. We work full-time jobs and we do the school runs and take the kids to the dentist and do the shopping and blah, blah, blah. And yes, you know, we've probably, most of us have got awesome husbands as well. Mike helps out with everything and at the moment he does everything. Right. So I'm very, very lucky. But, you know, like it still is a fact that women do so much more. So to listen to us... And our experiences, you know, everyone can learn and benefit from that. So, yeah, yeah it's, I know. It's kind of crazy. It is so crazy. It is so crazy. Yeah. yeah, but. And that's another reason why I always speak up for women and, and tell them in charge your work. Yeah. Because you're still going to be doing all of the things. Yeah. Yeah. But you're going to be working as well. So you have to get compensated for it. I mean, yeah. you just have to. Because yeah. your kids can't eat fresh air for lunch, you no. know? So <laughs> they can't eat passion for lunch. Oh, so, my gosh. Yeah. You know what? My husband, we'll end with this story, but one time, long time ago, my husband was traveling before he met me. And he traveled throughout New Zealand and Australia for a year. And in his travels somewhere, and I don't even know the whole real story, but he met this guy who claimed he was a breatharian, which meant that oh. he lived off breath. He ne- he didn't have to eat. He was really good. He barely ate, oh yada, yada, gosh. yada. And, and Bob was sort of like, what? Like, how is this even? Because Bob's a super scientist and also eats yeah. more than he has a huge appetite. Uh, and so he was like, what? Like, how is this possible? And so um, then one night, they all, that night, they, he made like a big pot of chili or something, you know, what you make when you're traveling. Yeah. Uh, and that guy ate like half of it. And there was like four of them. And they were all like, sure, you're a breatharian until somebody yeah. else makes a big pot of chili and then you eat half of it. And so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh so, anyways, God. you can, I guess you can live off of air. But occasionally well, you, you know, need to eat chili Living too. in hippie India, I'm surprised I haven't met someone who claims to be a breatharian, to be honest. But I haven't. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. None of us can do it. Not even here where the cost of living is super cheap. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, you need to eat yeah. occasionally, whether it's just an yeah. apple or a pot of chili. Yeah. So I know. thank you so much, Kirstie. This was so great. 
It was great chatting. Oh my gosh, it's been so lovely. I love catching up with you. It's fab. Yeah. <laughs>